Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Glad to have all of you in worship, and if you're joining us through the live stream, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. And uh, today we conclude a seven-week sermon series called The Gospel of the Kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. But what is the gospel of the kingdom? This is what we've been looking at in this series. And what does it mean to believe in the gospel and to partner with God in his kingdom work? And we've defined good news and kingdom of God this way. We've got to get, get these definitions inside of us so that when we hear gospel moving forward and we hear the kingdom of God and we sing about the kingdom as we've done this morning, this is what we think of. What is the good news? The gospel story of how God has been at work in the world and is now redeeming it in Jesus Christ, who will one day return to bring the fullness of the kingdom. We said that that story includes the story of Israel in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi leading up to the story of Jesus the Messiah, his life, his teachings, his death, resurrection, ascension, and eventually his return. And so the story of what Jesus continues to do through his church is also a part of that good news. And so what is the kingdom of God? We said is the reign and the rule of God on the earth, which always looks like Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the kingdom of God. So this kingdom is already, but it's also not yet. So we live in the overlap of the ages, the present evil age and the age to come. We said heaven is coming to earth. We pray that here at Grantham every Sunday morning, and it's because we really believe it. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Jesus showed us that this is what is happening. His resurrection body, again, is a picture of what God is going to do with all of creation in the future. This is a signpost saying, this is where things are going. So though you may get discouraged, uh, though, though you may feel like, where is the world going? It's, it's going to hell in a handbasket or whatever we're thinking and feeling these days as we come into the sanctuary. We are coming into the sanctuary to be reminded that this is the truth. And that this is where things are going. Whatever the narrative is in the world, whatever the news media and the news entertainment industry is doing or telling us, or whatever we're tempted to think and believe that's contrary to this, we come in and we say, Lord, align us to the truth of your word. This is the good news. We believe it. We testify to this in Christ's name. So what are we to be doing until the time comes when the kingdom comes in its fullness, when Christ returns. Because it's only Jesus that can, can ultimately consummate heaven and earth and bring the fullness of the kingdom. So what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? Well, we are to believe 
in the good news. We are to welcome and testify to the coming kingdom in our lives and do that first and foremost by being disciples of Jesus who make other disciples of Jesus. So to make disciples who then make disciples. As we hear from Jesus himself in our scripture reading this morning. If you have your Bible, would you go ahead and open up to the gospel of Matthew beginning with chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, first gospel in the New Testament. We're going to look at verse 35 through 38 in the New International Version, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 28 and read verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 3, Jesus said we need to interpret the signs of the times. He said, you know, when you see clouds gathering, you know that it's going to rain. He said, how is it that you cannot look at the signs of the times and interpret those? So Jesus invites us and calls us to do this sort of thing. And if you think about it, we certainly see some signs of some stark realities in the church of our day. Uh, Before the pandemic, church attendance was already declining. Less than 20% of Americans attended church on a regular basis. Uh, What we call the nuns, that is those who don't affiliate uh, with any religion, so agnostics, atheists, those who wouldn't consider themselves religious, amounted to about 26% of the American population. That has been on the rise. And now 19 months after the pandemic first began, we've seen post-Christendom accelerated as some churches have lost up to half of their members. And many churches even having to close. We've had to close a few in our own conference here within the Brethren in Christ. Due to everything from COVID to finances to politics to church switching to inertia to weak attachment to to their church, people to their churches, and some leaving faith practices altogether and forming new habits that do not reflect a gospel 
Christ-centered life. And this is what happens when the gospel isn't at the center, when Christ isn't at the center, and the church life isn't at the center. It creates a vacuum. Something has to fill it. And so one thing is for sure, this has exposed many problems within the American church. A lot of pastors are, are thinking this and see this, and we're talking amongst ourselves, those who at least remain in their posts. And that is this, the central problem is that the foundations of many professing Christians have not been built on the solid rock of Christ and the gospel of the kingdom, of which we've been talking about these past seven weeks, but instead on other things. Right? What did Jesus say? The, when the storms come, the waters, they, they rise, the rains come down, what happens to the house that's not built on the rock? It is washed away. And this is the, the same sort of thing that I think we're seeing today. So to use Jesus' language, much of our house has been built upon sand, not on the rock of Christ and his teachings. So whatever it's been built upon, it hasn't been on Christ. When the storms come and the house no longer stands, we know that to be true. And so in order to move forward, we must learn from the mistakes, to know the mistakes that we've made, to learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past, and specifically the way in which we've articulated the gospel and tried to grow our churches and expand our influence in society. You think about this, how much of evangelicalism is still trying to maintain its influence, fighting the culture wars, trying to hang on to whatever bit of political power is still left. And it's gotten nasty, hasn't it? Can I get an amen? It's gotten nasty. And we want to say at Grantham Church, we don't want to be a part of any of that. We want to say because Jesus is calling us to something different. Jesus calls us to a third way. So we've seen that in the way that we've unfortunately articulated the gospel in the past, reduced it down to a sinner's prayer or a plan of salvation, which doesn't really have much to do with the body. It doesn't have much to do with creation and the future of planet Earth. But instead we're saying, no, the gospel is about those things. It has an effect on those sorts of things. And this has become... Super, super clear for me, folks. Um, as I've been listening to a podcast hosted by Mike Cosper from Christianity Today, he, he's put out a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Raise your hand if you've heard of this or been listening to this. A few of you, yeah. So this podcast, if you're a listener to podcasts, you might want to check this out. It chronicles the rise and the rapid fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. It exposes the former pastor, specifically, revealing his narcissism, his bullying, his toxic masculinity, and so forth. But I think this podcast is about much more than the failings of this particular pastor and what happened in this church. I want you to think about this. And if you've listened to this, you know what I'm talking about. It, it really exposes the error of the church growth movement and mentality and mindset, as well as Western capitalism and consumerism's impact on well-meaning Christian leaders and congregations. That is that much of the American church has done nothing more than create religious consumers 
and tried to hold and attract folks' attention with what they've offered. And so when they can no longer compete with the world and hold their attention, he said, that's the way we used to do it, right? Back in the Christendom model, the attraction model of the church, we would create programs and ministries like serving up food on a table and say, come and get it, ring the dinner bell, and people would come. And that's no longer working that way. And of course, whatever you capture people's attention with, you have to hold their attention with that. And so it's really created a shallow Christianity. You've heard me say, a thousand miles wide, but only an inch deep. So it really is a whole operating system. It really is a whole mindset that I think is being questioned and challenged, as it should be in this podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. So I think this podcast is very timely because many church leaders, staff and volunteers included, are asking questions like this. How many still consider this their church? I mean, how many of you thought that at, at Grantham? Who's still with us? I, you, we're asking that because we've not seen everybody. Is it really that many people still watching the live stream? Probably not. But people are asking this all over. It's not just us. Some are saying, what will it take to get folks to come back to church or to get new folks to come to the church? What do we need to change? This is a great time to assess where we're at and to make the needed changes. What should, here's a bigger question, what should the church post-COVID look like? What, what, is, what is this opportunity that's been created for us to repent and to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And then this question, how do we grow the church? Because Jesus has called us to that, right? We, we hear that in the scriptures that we've just read. But instead of asking how, your pastors believe that we should start by asking the question, why? Think about this. Why do anything? <laughs> why have a worship service? Why learning communities and small groups? Why have deacons? Why continue with a live stream? Why start a new ministry? Why do strategic planning and attempt to reach others for Christ? Why? It's a better question, isn't it? And folks, we need to ask why because the answer to the why question fuels our vision. It determines where we're going. And we need to be sure that our why aligns with God's why before attempting to do anything. And certainly from continuing to do business as usual. This is just some of what our pastors have been discussing together over the past couple of months in our weekly meetings. And we began by using this book, Gospel Saturation. Gospel Saturation began by inviting us to think about the operating system. If you're into computers or smartphones, we just call it the OS, right? It, it invited us to think about the OS of our congregation and discern the differences between the apps, right, the, the many things that we do, and the operating system, the OS, which is why we do what we do and what drives us. You see, otherwise we might think like so many churches, we think that the problem is with our apps, we just need new programs, different exciting programs to attract people, ministries, that kind of thing. And those things are important, but that's not the place to begin. And instead, we need to look at our OS, which houses our why and then determines the how of ministry. Are you with me? 
He says, we've seen things are clearly broken with the church in America, but, but what's broken and how do we fix it? That's a good question. The problem isn't our apps or, or someone creating some new apps for us because evangelical culture has the biggest app store imaginable. All kinds of things out there that you can do, that you can buy into, and so forth. But we, we still have, have lost ground and we've lost our way simply by relying upon new apps. And much of that has to do with us operating on a church growth operating system. Follow me. Because this places our church at the center. Our church. It places one church at the center and not gospel saturation, which is a vision far greater than our church. Think about this with me. What is gospel saturation? We could define it this way. Gospel saturation is the church owning the lostness of an identified people in a defined place. Whether we say that's Mechanicsburg, Dillsburg, uh, the West Shore, whatever. It's the church owning the lostness of an identified people in a defined place, ensuring that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now think about that definition. And look at that first word there, owning the lostness. What, it, what do we mean there, lostness? You know, it, it might not be the end thing anymore to describe people as lost. It may seem even archaic. But I want you to think about this. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? The lost. You see, the lost are those who don't know Jesus, as well as those who have wandered away from God. Those who are far from God, or far from His ideal, or far away from coming into the kingdom and embracing the good news. That that lostness can manifest itself in a number of ways. Now, to think about this for a moment, where you live, your neighborhood, where our, our church is situated. Think about the lostness and how it shows up and manifests itself. It can look like idolatry in all kinds of forms. It looks like nationalism, sexual immorality, greed, a life of anger, addiction, lying, cheating, abuse, violence, right? And the list goes on, the ways that lostness manifests itself. So think about this. What evidence do you see of lostness in our community? And so how do we own the lostness? If you, get, if you get an idea of the lostness that you see made visible around you, ask yourself, how do we own this? Because this is what the idea of gospel saturation, this operating system, is all about. It means that we see the lostness as ambassadors of Christ. And think about what an ambassador does for a nation. Represents a nation, represents certain values, represents a kingdom, and is sent to a people. 
on behalf of that nation, on behalf of that kingdom. So when we say we're ambassadors of Christ, this is what we mean. As members of a local ecclesia, called out ones who represent the agendas of the kingdom, who proclaim the good news of the kingdom. It means that we see ourselves as spiritual soldiers stationed where we live to join with the larger church, that's capital C, and angel armies in resisting the forces of evil in this place and working with the Spirit to drive hell out of people and the world around us. Think about the image that we've been seeing throughout this series because we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is what we're called to as ambassadors for the kingdom. This is what we're called to as a local ecclesia. This is what we're called to as good news people, as spiritual soldiers. This is the territory in which God has given us to be responsible for this work. Amen? We care about what's going on in other parts of the world. But as human beings, and the idea of the local ecclesia is that we're given a specific locality to manifest the kingdom of God. This is ours to own. So here's this. We pray and we ask God to share his burden for the lost with us. We ask God to share his burden for the lost with us. So that it might move us to action with the authority given to us by Christ, as we read in the Scriptures. To proclaim the gospel. To forgive sins. We have authority to do this. To proclaim the gospel. To forgive sins. To be peacemakers. To be ministers of reconciliation. To heal the hurting. To make disciples of the God who looks like Jesus. And we need to remember that this is not about us. It's not about our church. It's not about our glory. It's about God's glory. But what is God's glory? You know, I admit I have, I've struggled with that whole phrase because I've seen certain segments of the church talk about God's glory in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. And it's, and it's quite repulsive, actually. That maybe sort of speculating that God's glory is just anything God wants to do because he can do it because he's God. But that's not what we mean by God's glory. The actual Hebrew word is kavod. It refers to God's character, his beauty, his felt presence, which when, he, when we experience that brings peace and power to his people and blessing. But his glory is also about his majesty, his honor, and his reputation. And so the Bible describes God's glory in several ways. His, his glory we hear in the scriptures is seen in creation. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. You go outside and you look at the cosmos. You look up into the night skies. I've been doing it. I pulled out the telescope tonight and, and, and caught Venus just before it dropped below the horizon. We, th- we think about the glory of God when we see pictures like this. But most of all, as we see his glory in creation, we see it revealed in human beings. Listen to what King David wrote in the Psalms in Psalm 8. Some of you will be familiar with this wonderful passage. Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens 
Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is humanity that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory. Did you hear that? Crowned us with glory and honor. And you've made them rulers over the works of your hands. And you've put everything under their feet. Flocks, herds, animals of the wild, birds in the sky, fish in the sea that swam the paths of the sea. You can get this image of Genesis 1. We're going back, right, to God's creation. The glory of God that's seen in, his, in the earth. But listen, folks, what the psalmist is saying is there is no glory like the glory that rests upon human beings. That's God's glory. Lord, our Lord, David said, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it says, N.T. Wright said, we are made in God's image, broken and not as we should be, but that's, that's good. God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because we'll never be as we should be. Yet we're called to live in to what it means to be fully human in Christ, to, to, to find that our image-bearing power can be restored in Jesus. Hallelujah that we can become angled mirrors that reflect God's glory into the world by the, what we believe, by what we testify to, by the way we live, by how we treat others, how we go to the lost as Jesus did, to heal, to forgive, to mend the broken, to restore, to renew, to resurrect. We can be those image bearers, those angled mirrors, and reflecting then glory back to God. And this is how God is honored. And this is how the world is healed. If you think back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 24, I referenced that in your bulletin. You know, we read this passage where Paul takes us back to, to, the, to the point in the beginning where instead of reflecting God's glory in the world and returning God's glory to himself, uh, our image uh, became broken. This image of God in us became broken because instead of worshiping God, the creator, we worship things made with human hands. And we still do this. You don't need wood carvings to be idol worshipers. It's putting anything in the center of your orbit. Anything that you gravitate toward that isn't the life-giving spirit force of God. It isn't returning us to the light and the love of God revealed in Jesus. And, and Paul says, God has called us to a new way to, to restore, to renew, to resurrect, that we can bear his image and reflect his glory. And it happens by embracing the gospel. That glory is most clearly seen and received through the gospel of Christ. Yet don't miss this, church. And I know this is hard for us in this age of scientism, but, but this is a biblical, it is a Christian worldview to embrace this idea that there are forces at work behind the scenes working against the will of God. And if we don't acknowledge those forces and go to battle against those forces— then we, it's, it's as if we're going into battle without our weapons. These are the forces that keep the world from seeing God's glory. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He said, The God of this age, that being Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory 
of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves. Paul's saying this isn't about our glory. It's not about one specific church. It's not about the church growth movement. No. He says what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Back in Genesis, the God who said this made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And Paul is saying, church, we must mirror this radiance of God's glory into the world. So what would it look like then for Grantham Church to operate according to this gospel saturation OS, this operating system, and be a church that exists for God's glory and not our own? Well, take a look at this image as a way of communicating this. Gospel saturation prioritizes mobilization over collection. It's, it's not about filling our baskets to fill our baskets, just coming and consuming. It is about coming so that we can be sent into the world, to be Christ's hands and feet. As C.S. Lewis said, little Christs, wherever you live, work, shop, and play. It is about this, prioritizing transformation over attendance. Yeah, you know, we, we, we would love for the pews to be filled because it's not just bottoms and seats. These are souls. That would be great. But that's not what we're aiming for. We're not just aiming for greater attendance. We're aiming for transformation. And think about it. Jesus took 12 people, eventually 11, because there's a Judas in every bunch. Think about that. He took 11 people, and he changed the world. 11 people that were sold out that said, I want to be a learner. That's what a disciple is. Right? And now, they came with to Jesus, much like some of us do, in trying to teach Jesus some things. <laughs> but Jesus said, I am the teacher. You are the student. I had a sixth grade teacher that did that. You know, I think she continued until she retired, telling every class after the class I was in this. Right? She had to tell me this all the time. David, teacher, student. Teacher, student. You have a hard time picturing that, don't you? <laughs> this is true. Jesus would say this to us. I'm the teacher. You're the student. And Jesus can take a handful of ragtag bunch of people. Didn't matter your political views or whatever. If you can set all of those things aside that divide us and be unified in Christ and allow Jesus to be the teacher, Jesus can change the community. But think about it. this. It's not just us. It's not just Grantham. We have a lot more churches in our area, in our region. That's what the gospel saturation idea is all about. Look at this. It's about collaboration over competition. It's about collaboration over competition. You know, sometimes I meet people and they say, I went to that other church over there. I just didn't, you know, the, I heard somebody say this. One. They said, you wouldn't believe it. Their pastor did a whole series on Star Wars. I thought, well, I'm a Star Wars fan. I, I don't know if I'd ever do that. But here's the deal. I didn't get all giddy and think, oh, yeah, right, come to our church. Or, or whatever people may say when they church hop and they move around, right? No, we're on the same team. We want the success of the other churches. We want more people to come to Jesus. And we want to work with those churches. And we've already, you'll be glad to know, started to do this sort of work. 
We hired a discipleship pastor. And mind you, we're not the only church in our conference that's even done that. That ought to say something about what we're prioritizing moving forward post-COVID. But we've, we've got a wonderful discipleship pastor, Pastor Melissa, and she's already making connections with other pastors and other churches to say, how can we collaborate? What can we do together? M- most recently, we've been doing this with youth ministry. And then we've also been doing it with refugee care. Some things that you'll be hearing more about as we move forward. But it prioritizes collaboration, you see, over competition. That's Western capitalism. That's Western consumerism that says that we got to compete. We, we, we got to compete with each other. But that is not the gospel of Jesus. The church is, it's got to be different, folks. It's got to be different. We are, not, we are not just an organization. We are the organic body of Christ. And then lastly, we must prioritize multiplication over addition. We want to think as we raise up leaders, how do we make disciples who make disciples? How do we take a group of people that will then go out and take their own groups of people? And so we have exponential kingdom sort of growth. You know, if we're honest, often our, our vision isn't big enough. We have a scarcity mindset. Instead of we, we serve a God and we, we worship a loving Father who has a cattle, cattle on a thousand hills, right? This is what it means to embrace the gospel, and this is what it means to operate according to gospel saturation. And then there are gospel principles that lead us to these priorities. Real quick, this is what they are. It's about a movement. God is on a redemptive gospel mission among every man, woman, and child through active engagement of his people and the church. It's also about a kingdom, which is much bigger than us. God's kingdom is greater and more important than any one church or any one denomination. It's about a harvest. You remember what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. It's about a harvest. God loves his creation and always wants his people in the harvest to proclaim and reflect his glory and gospel to every man, woman, and child. And it's about making disciples because God accomplishes his mission in the world through the transformed lives of his people. And brothers and sisters, we need to know, as well as share as a church, some foundational convictions that drive the OS of gospel saturation. And I just invite you this morning to make these convictions your own convictions. You see, because when God moves in the world, he moves through all of his people in the church. All of his people. We call it the priesthood of the believers. And we as Anabaptists, we strongly embrace this perspective that every single one of us is a minister. Oh, you may not be in vocational ministry. You might not be responsible for the administration of the church and ministry programs and helping plan worship services, but you are a minister. And we want to empower you to see yourself as such. Where do you work? You're a priest there. You're a priest of Jesus Christ wherever he has placed you. And number two, we want you to share this conviction that that we have leaders, and the purpose of the leaders is to equip and empower others. It isn't to do all of the ministry. It isn't to do all of the house visits. It isn't to do all of the phone calls. It isn't to do all of that stuff, which is good stuff, but it is to equip others to share in the work of the gospel. 
And so your pastors are asking that. How can we lead as, as equippers and empowering others? Pastor Denise and children's ministry say, how can we empower our parents who are on the go to be disciples of their children and to live into the liturgies of the church, not just at church, but at home? Things like that. We want to see ourselves that way, and we want you to see leadership that way. And then number three, to share this conviction that disciples, and to make disciples in churches that multiply. I heard it put this way, that every church has it within them, this ability, at least the ability to be pregnant. We are born pregnant. And Grantham, you know, has a history of this, of planting other churches, of starting new ministries, whether it's being a part of the birth of Paxton, which just experienced its 40th year, or, or planting other regional churches. This is the kind of work that I believe God wants to continue to have us to do. And so what is your part in that? And do you get excited about this sort of kingdom impact and influence? What does God want to do for a new day and a new generation, especially today when people are losing hope, when people need to see signs of hope, when people need to experience God's love and the power of the good news to believe in his good future? You see, all of these ideas could be summarized this way. If you're a math person, here's some equations for you. Look at these equations. Every man, woman, and child equals an opportunity. Equals an opportunity. His glory is greater than our story. That's what we're saying. A church is less than the church. And every believer equals a missionary. You know, for the longest time, we kind of thought of ourselves as Christians in America as the missionaries who go to other places off this continent, across the seas, to evangelize folks. And one of the invitations this morning is, folks, to wake up. The mission field is here. So what would it look like to see yourself as a missionary? And this might be a little challenging, especially if you grew up in central Pennsylvania culture to see uh, the ways in which the culture reflects God's glory in ways that it doesn't. You know, sometimes where we say, well, that's just the way we do things in Central PA, and it may be dehumanizing. It may not be reflective of the good news of Jesus. And we may even see some of that in our own churches. What does it look like for you to see yourself as a missionary? What kinds of things might you need to do or prioritize differently in your life? Even if you work at Messiah in a Christian school, what would it look like to see yourself as a priest, to see yourself as meeting people where they are, accommodating them as God accommodates us, to lead them to the God who looks like Jesus? You see, church, it's time for us to own the lostness of our community. Jesus calls us to do it. He calls the church in one given location to own the lostness. For us to see that lostness and to, to own up to it and take responsibility. And to acquire a fire for it being transformed by the gospel of the kingdom. 
just as Jesus did for his own people. Remember that Acts 1-8 idea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's time for us to see ourselves as agents of new creation. Good news people joining the insurgency of heaven. You see, brothers and sisters, God's why, you want to know what God's why is? God's why is His glory filling His creation through His people, or what we would call gospel saturation. And and He is calling us to align our why with His why. What does that look like? It looks like us receiving from Christ the authority to make disciples, baptizing them, he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's us receiving divine power to teach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to heal every disease and sickness as it is within our power. It's about looking at the crowds through the eyes of Jesus and having compassion on them, having our our gut wrenched, our heart torn open for what we see because we see that they are harassed and they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It looks like us discipling, serving, welcoming, unifying, and witnessing this. Witnessing to the truth of this, that Jesus has changed everything. That heaven is coming to earth, and sin, death, and hell are on the way out. Amen? Which is what must fuel our mission and vision at Grantham Church. What does this concept of of gospel saturation look like? You see, it looks like people encountering Christ, becoming disciples, taking responsibility for their own growth. It looks like serving in gospel-centered churches and intentionally seeking to lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. It looks like lives being renewed, relationships restored, families transformed. It's where skeptics are welcomed, where prayer is mobilized, where leaders are developed, where old divisions are healed, and churches are partnering together in mission. It's it's about a gospel movement that declares the reign and the rule of God that always looks like Jesus and realigns all of life to Him, changing the landscape of our region. Of course, this is a vision. You listen to that. You you, you must know this is a vision that only God in His power can accomplish. And that's why we like to quote Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You remember that prayer? Now to Him who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And therefore, the place to begin, Grantham Church, is for us to make this our OS and then seek to facilitate an atmosphere for movement by being intentional as disciples and taking one step each day toward personal renewal and gospel saturation. God is calling us to be faithful so that we can be fruitful. To be faithful and He through us will make us fruitful. 
which is why we've been regularly praying a breakthrough prayer here at Grantham through this fall. You see, we've been praying through our breakthrough prayer that God would essentially renew us by His grace. We want this to be the case for everyone. Hear me. Young and old, this is for everyone. We want to be regularly affected by what God has done through Christ and the gospel of the kingdom. We want to see increased passion in worship, courage in evangelism, joy in service, hospitality to our neighbors, engagement in community needs, and wisdom to speak the truth in every area of life. We want to live as if the gospel is true, because it is. Because it is. And if you believe that it's true, brothers and sisters, and you want to be a part of a fresh move of the Spirit of God in this place, then would you please stand and let us close this series and this message by saying our breakthrough prayer together. Would you stand? Pray this with me. Father, we cry out for more of your kingdom in and through Grantham Church. Please break through our darkness, free us from our bondage, and open doors for greater ministry. Fill us with your Spirit and empower us by your grace, and we will surrender and faithfully follow Jesus and fulfilling your gospel mission. Amen. Amen.